Welcome to a History of the Space Race Podcast, Episode 76, Apollo 16. In 1972, the Apollo program came to an end after successfully landing 12 men on the moon in six different missions. The final two moon landings took place in 1972, Apollo 16 and Apollo 17. By this time, it was clear that there would be no further manned landings on the moon, at least not for some time. NASA and the Nixon administration were already pointing towards the Space Shuttle program, which would be limited to Earth orbital operations as NASA's next big project. With knowledge that humans would not be returning to the moon anytime soon, the planning for Apollo 16 and Apollo 17 took on greater importance. The scientific community in particular, which had been so long promised that the Apollo program would eventually focus on scientific discovery rather than engineering spacecraft, wanted to make these last two missions count. And NASA's mission planners did everything in their power to accommodate these interests. For these last two missions, NASA would not issue any new hardware or attempt to test any new procedures during the lunar surface mission. Apollo 16 and Apollo 17 would focus on scientific discovery. The biggest question was where the last two missions should land. Up to now, all previous landings had taken place in the Maria. If you look at the moon, these are the darker parts of the lunar surface. Referred to as the Maria, or seas, these areas were believed to have been formed by lava flows after the moon formed. The Maria are generally flat areas, which was one reason why the earlier Apollo landing sites had all favored landing in the Maria. For the last two missions, geologists wanted to land in the lunar highlands. The lunar highlands are the lighter parts of the lunar surface. Geologists believe that the highlands had formed before lava surfaced from the interior of the moon to create the Maria, meaning the highlands should in theory have older rocks than what could be found in the Maria. This could tell geologists more about the early history of the moon. But because the highlands tend to have a rougher terrain, this area was largely disfavored as a landing site in the early Apollo missions. Now that NASA had gained some experience in landing, however, a mission to the lunar highlands became possible. For Apollo 16, NASA's Site Selection Board decided to land in the Descartes region. 
Located to the south and west from the landing site of Apollo 11, the Descartes region had the benefit of being close to the lunar equator, making landing a bit easier. Geologists also favored the Descartes region because it had high albedo, meaning it reflected a lot of light. Geologists believe that the high albedo was the result of rocks created by volcanic activity, and they wanted to investigate. The other landing site given serious consideration was Tycho Crater. If you look up at the moon with binoculars, you can't miss Tycho Crater. It is a very bright crater with lots of streaking lines from it located near the southern pole of the moon. But because Tycho Crater was so far south of the equator, and because the terrain in the area was particularly rough, the site selection board ruled out a landing there. So with the site selected, the crew of Apollo 16 was given site-specific training to maximize the opportunity for scientific investigation in the Descartes region. The crew of Apollo 16 was Commander John Young, Lunar Module Pilot Charlie Duke, and Command Module Pilot Ken Mattingly. Young, at this time, was NASA's second most experienced astronaut after Jim Lovell. Young was a veteran of three missions by this time. He was a veteran of Gemini 3, the first manned Gemini mission. Gemini 10, which conducted multiple rendezvous, conducted multiple EVAs, and set a new record for highest altitude for manned flight. And he was a veteran of Apollo 10, which did the dry rehearsal for the moon landing. Ken Mattingly had never been to space before. He was the one on the prime crew for Apollo 13, but was then subsequently removed because he had been exposed to the measles by Charlie Duke on Apollo 13's backup crew. And Charlie Duke, who was now on Apollo 16 with Mattingly, had also never been to space before. At 36 years old, Duke, as the lunar module pilot, would be the youngest person to land on the moon a record still held to this day in 2023. There was also a backup crew to Apollo 16, like every other Apollo mission. This backup crew, however, was slightly different. As I mentioned before, backup crews could normally expect to be placed on a prime crew three missions later. But NASA already knew that there would be no further Apollo missions after Apollo 17. So, to avoid wasting money training astronauts for missions that would not happen, Deke Slayton now chose astronauts who had already been on an Apollo mission for the backup crews. The Apollo 16 backup crew included Fred Hayes, Stuart Rusa, and Edgar Mitchell. Hayes had flown on Apollo 13, 
Rusa and Mitchell had each flown on Apollo 14. Newer astronauts who had not had an opportunity to go to space yet were rerouted to the Skylab program for training. The scientific training that the prime and backup crews received for Apollo 16 was extensive. Most of the training focused on geology as in past missions. Young and Duke, the two astronauts expected to land on the moon, were given particularly intense training. Geologists focused on training them to recognize and describe volcanic rocks, since that was what the geologists expected to find in the Descartes landing site. They also took field trips to nuclear test sites in Nevada so that Young and Duke could see craters created by nuclear explosions. These would be proxies for what a crater created by a meteorite impact might look like. By now, the astronauts also had the added benefit of studying the lunar samples retrieved from previous Apollo missions to add to their training. With their training completed, the mission proceeded to launch. The launch of Apollo 16 took place on April 16th, 1972, at 12.54 p.m. Eastern Time. The Saturn V rocket propelled the spacecraft smoothly into orbit. For this mission, the command module had the call name CASPER, and the lunar module was called Orion. The command module had been named by command module pilot Ken Mattingly, who chose the name CASPER after the cartoon character Casper the Friendly Ghost, which also seems to illustrate yet again why NASA headquarters was so weary of letting the astronauts choose the call signs, though by now there was a lot less focus on these names. John Young chose the name Orion for the lunar module because he wanted a name connected to the stars and the Orion constellation would be visible throughout Apollo 16's journey to the moon. Apollo 16's journey to the moon went smoothly. Translunar injection proceeded as expected. The transposition maneuver occurred without incident. The only trouble that the astronauts saw was that the lunar module, Orion, appeared to be shedding something that was possibly paint from the outside. When Young and Duke entered Orion for inspection, however, they saw no problems in the interior. There were no serious problems until after Apollo 16 entered lunar orbit, and Young and Duke prepared to take Orion to the lunar surface. As was usual, Young and Duke undocked the lunar module from the command module. At this point, Mattingly was to maneuver the command module, Casper, away into a circular orbit, while Orion descended to the moon. But after undocking, Mattingly discovered that the service module engine attached to Casper had a problem. A problem that threatened to end the mission. 
Before firing the service module engine to leave Orion and enter a circular orbit, procedure was to test the gimbling on the engine. That is, the engine cone would move up and down, left and right, to confirm that the engine was capable of maneuvering. When Mattingly performed this routine test, the entire spacecraft started shaking, something that did not usually happen. Mattingly began working with Mission Control to figure out what the problem was. Mission rules, however, were quite clear. If there was a problem with the service module engine, the lunar module was to redock with the command module. The astronauts were then to use the lunar module's engines to come home, somewhat similar to what Apollo 13 had done when its service module engine became unreliable. This was critical because Remember, the service module engine is their only primary engine to get home. The lunar module's engine could do it, as proven by Apollo 13, but that's not really what the lunar module's engine was designed to do. And more importantly for Young and Duke, it would mean Orion could not land on the moon. The engine and the fuel on the lunar module would be needed to ensure all three astronauts could come home. Young and Duke continued to orbit the moon, maintaining station keeping near Orion for over six agonizing hours before Mission Control finally determined that they could work around the problem. The moon landing mission was still a go. But now, of course, they were six hours behind schedule, on a mission that was planned down to the minute. Because of the delay, Orion would also have to begin its descent from a higher altitude than planned, higher than any previous mission. Young and Duke, however, successfully landed on the moon and then settled down to rest before their first EVA. Meanwhile, Mission Control had already decided to cut a day off their stay on the moon's surface. With the loss of six hours due to the engine problem, plus the need for a margin of safety now that it was known that the service module engine had issues, there was not enough time to perform all the work that had been planned on the moon. The astronauts would still perform three EVAs as planned, but a few hours had to be cut from the last EVA. After their rest period, Young and Duke stepped out of Orion and onto the moon, becoming the ninth and tenth humans to set foot there, respectively. Young's words when first setting foot on the moon were, There you are. Mysterious and Unknown, Descartes, Highland Plains. During the first EVA, Young and Duke's first task was unloading the lunar rover and setting up base camp with a television camera, the U.S. flag, and deployment of the Apollo Lunar Surface Experiments Package. 
As in the past, the experiments included a seismometer, heat flow experiments, and a magnetometer. Young and Duke then started by collecting samples nearby before driving the rover to nearby sites. Orion had actually landed a few hundred feet off course, but the lunar rover made this problem manageable. Young and Duke first went to a place named Plum Crater. Here they retrieved some samples, including a 26-pound rock nicknamed Big Mully, after William Mulberger, one of the principal geologists. Big Mully was the biggest rock recovered during the Apollo program and can be found today in the Lunar Receiving Laboratory in Houston. Young and Duke then visited other sites and took pictures. During their time on the surface, Young and Duke had been telling the geologists back in Mission Control that the Descartes region did not look like it was formed by volcanic activity. But the geologists were so certain that they dismissed Young and Duke's initial observations, despite all the training the astronauts had received. By now, however, the pictures that Young and Duke returned started to convince the geologists back home that the astronauts were right. Apollo 16 had not landed in a volcanic area. One of the main reasons that the Descartes region had been chosen as a landing site. Young and Duke eventually returned to Orion to complete more base camp setup before turning in for rest. During the second EVA, Young and Duke drove up to Stone Mountain, which was a little less than two and a half miles away from Orion. To get there, they drove about 500 feet up from the elevation where they had landed, the highest that any astronauts have gone during an Apollo mission. They made several more stops, collecting samples and photos along the way, before turning in again after 7 hours and 23 minutes, setting the new record for the longest EVA ever performed up to that time. For the third EVA, Young and Duke went to North Ray Crater, the largest crater visited during an Apollo mission. This site was about 2.7 miles away from Orion. There, the astronauts found a boulder taller than a four-story building. Samples from the boulder proved, once again, that the Descartes region definitely had not been formed by volcanic activity. They then drove the lunar rover downhill, reaching a speed of about 10.5 miles per hour, setting the current land speed record on the moon. Young and Duke then collected some interesting soil samples. These soil samples were permanently in the moon's shadow. They then went back to the lunar module to complete more experiments. Before getting back inside the lunar module, Duke left a memento on the moon. 
a framed picture of his family inside a plastic cover. After five hours and 40 minutes, the astronauts went back inside Orion for the last time. Meanwhile, in orbit, Mattingly was performing his own experiments, though he encountered a number of problems. One of his tasks was to take panoramic photos, but the camera started draining so much power that at one point, Casper's master alarm went off. There was also a malfunction that caused many of the photos to be overexposed. There were also a number of other problems, such as a mapping camera that did not work correctly due to a failure in the glare shield, a problem with the altimeter used to measure the altitude of the spacecraft, and a problem retracting a boom that had been used to extend a spectrometer from the service module. All in all, it was not an easy time for Mattingly. With the lunar surface mission complete, Orion returned to lunar orbit and docked with Casper. After transferring their samples to Casper, the astronauts undocked from Orion. From there, mission control was to remotely guide Orion to crash on the moon, to test the seismometers that had been left on the surface. But after Orion was jettisoned, it started to tumble and mission control lost control. Orion did eventually crash into the moon about a year later. Before leaving lunar orbit, Mattingly also deployed a small sub-satellite stored inside the service module's scientific instruments bay. This satellite was supposed to collect scientific data about the moon for another year, but because of the problem with Casper's service module engine, Mattingly had to release the satellite in a lower orbit than planned. As a result, the satellite was lost after just about a month. The lunar mission now complete, Mattingly fired up the service module engine to bring everyone home. On the way home, Mattingly performed an EVA to retrieve some film from the service module's science bay, similar to what had happened on Apollo 15. He also set up a biology experiment using microbes. On April 27, 1972, Apollo 16 splashed down in the Pacific Ocean. In the aftermath of Apollo 16, geologists confirmed that, yes, indeed the Descartes region was not volcanic. They had been misled because they had drawn analogies between the formation of the Earth's crust and the Moon's crust. But because the two bodies had very different histories, many of their assumptions did not apply to the Moon. Today, you can see the command module CASPER inside the U.S. Space Rocket Center in Huntsville, Alabama. Next time, I'll pick up with the very last Apollo moon landing. 
Apollo 17.